Welcome to The Hidden World of Women, a podcast brought to you by Women's Health and Wellbeing Services. My name is Emma and I'll be your host for today's episode. This morning I'm joined by another amazing woman. She describes herself as weird and wonderful, which is my absolute favourite description that I've had so far. Um, This lady is a forensic scientist. She's a world-winning science communicator. She's involved in teaching. She's a senior lecturer at Murdoch University here in Western Australia and I believe she's also involved with Murdoch in Singapore as well. She's a leader in the science community. She's involved in real life cases and investigating human and animal crimes. She's an immigrant from Italy. And today I'm joined by Paola Magni. So I'm super excited to be talking to you today, Paola. Thank you for having me, Emma. It's a pleasure. Thank you for joining me. So I guess, tell me a little bit about your story. How do you go from, like, what's your background in Italy and how did you end up being one of you know, a leading forensic scientist in Western Australia? Well, the story is actually a journey and probably more like a roller coaster journey. So I was born and raised in Italy in a family that was uh, not educated that much because nobody of my family went to the university. I'm the first one of of my family going to uh, get a university degree. So Uh, why would you stop at just going to university? Hey, like you could have just gone to university, but no, no. Let's aim for the top and actually become a senior lecturer there as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, it was just I need to go to the university because I want to know more about what I like and what I liked and what I what I still like. I actually love, deeply in love, is everything about nature, the nature around me. So um, I was the only child in, in this uh, little family with my mom being a teacher for special needs kids. And my dad was a, a director of a hotel. So no one of them was actually into science and no one of my... Um, uh, like uh, high degree, uh, different degree uh, relatives are into science. Um, I don't know what happened in, you know, <laughs> something in the genetics happened at some point. Some, some, you know, they said DNA changes as mistakes. Probably there was a mistake at some point and become a science mistake. Anyway, so I always love nature to the point that, yeah, my, the sister of my mom, my auntie used to bring me lots of dolls and I was not interested in the dolls. At some point there was a doll that was talking and singing. And my biggest thing about this doll was, I want to open and find out how does it work. Uh, no playing <laughs> what I don't it does, show me how it does it. <laughs> yeah, I don't care what she says. And these songs are really annoying. I just want to see how the real disc opens and uh, moves inside. So yeah, first per- 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 I can say maybe the, my first autopsy happened when I was six. <laughs> um, so other things, I had this little kitchenette that was all plastic, plastic, fantastic kitchenette that my dad gave to me with all of these pots. And uh, during winter, we always had chestnuts to, to mm. eat, you know, the hot chestnuts. And my biggest thing was, let's open the chestnut and find the little caterpillar inside. So my little pots were full of little <laughs> caterpillars. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was very fascinated about how they move, how they squeeze themselves inside of the little pot and uh, how they change colors, how they change shape when they move from the caterpillar to the little moth and all of these things. Always, always interested in nature. And um, my biggest dream was to have an aquarium at home or a cat or something that I could actually handle and look and observe and having a little booklet to, to write what they were doing. 
at some point I got a little hamster, then I got a second hamsters. My parents, no idea that these two were male and females. Oh, dear. And a few <laughs> a few weeks after, voila, eight little ones. And uh, and for me, it was a, a wow moment. Like, a, ho, ho, one of the hamsters was brown, one was white. So the eight little ones, seven, no, six were brown and two were white. Ah. And this is like Mendel 101, yeah. genetics 101. So I had this little booklet and I started to, you know, put all these uh, charts and colors and I started to inbreed them. Oh my God. I probably created like a hamster with six legs at some point. <laughs> Little monster. <laughs> yeah. I, I was like, probably that was my, I was like a little CEO of my own little business with the animal shop because I was making so many uh, hamsters that I, I had a kind of an agreement with the, um, the, the pet shop near home and I was bringing babies that I didn't need because the colors were not okay with my child yeah. and they were doing back food so yeah a little entrepreneur in career oh, <laughs> they, wow. it was all about science for me like and um yeah probably if my parents were a little bit more educated in science they will tell me inbreeding is not so a good maybe thing. it's not great yeah so, <laughs> might yeah, need to so get a few some point, yeah 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 so I went Luckily, I didn't have a hamster with two heads at any point, so <laughs> that that was okay. Anyway, so no surprises that when I had to start the high school, I pushed my mom to um, to take me to a, a private high school in which there was a huge science program that was not normal for for Italy. In Italy, we have certain high schools divided for type with the classic one in which you study Latin and Greek and then you have the scientific one that is not much different from that you have more hours of Latin rather than science mm. but this one had a speci special program you had like 10 hours more than a normal school to do science and you had labs and these and that yeah. and I was like yeah I'm gonna go to school day one with the lab coat and I'm gonna stay with the lab coat all day so a little nerd uh, <laughs> like, completely in love with what I was doing Finishing the high school, uh, no surprises again that uh, I decided to uh, enroll in the um, course of natural sciences. People were thinking about biology for me, mm. but I discovered that biology is all about science of life and nature is not just about life. Yeah. We live in an environment in which there are many things that are not alive. We walk on soil that is not alive. There are mm. components that are alive, but stones and rocks and volcanoes and uh, chemical components are not alive, but yeah. they make life possible. So this kind of opportunity to see nature as a full, a full picture yeah. uh, in which also the man is there because uh, imagine a biologist that looks a plant, a pot plant will look into the, you know, the trunk and the leaves the geologists will look into the vase and the and the soil, mm. but a person that studies natural sciences can see and understand the vase, the soil, the trunk, the leaves, the air around, and the people that look at the pot uh, plant. Yeah. So all of this is like, wow, I want to be there. I want to understand all of this complex food chain and understanding everything. So that was my starting. And um, uh, in specific, well, part of the nature that I used to love was uh, everything that was water and underwater. So my sport was scuba diving. I became an instructor of scuba diving in, uh, uh, when I was 18. I was the, the youngest scuba diver instructor in Italy. 
Oh my so my career, <laughs> my career, so I'm going to, I'm going to do. So back in the days, uh, the, the university career was a huge chunk of like five years in which you had to study a bunch of units and then you had to do one year or two years of research. Mm. So I thought I'm going to work on manta rays, on sharks, yeah. on whales, something huge and, and, and wet, you know, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to travel to Maldives. I'm going to spend a year in Maldives and then I come back with a good thesis. But I hit the reality, and the reality was that I was living in a city that was 250 kilometers far away from the sea, yeah. and the only marine biologist teacher was going to provide students with theses on hermit crabs and oh. how they reproduce hermit crabs. Take crush my dreams. I really want to work on manta rays. You're giving me the of an hermit crab to look after. It's not going to happen, mate. It's not going to happen. Not for a whole so, year. You know, maybe you could look at a hermit exactly. crab for a week, but not for a year. <laughs> exactly. So I I kind of took a moment to, you know, to rethink about things. And uh, I, I waited kind of a, a sliding door. Mm. Uh, I had an opportunity to travel to Kazakhstan, the middle of nowhere for a research. I got a scholarship to join uh, um, a multidisciplinary, multicultural group of um, European people, Russian people, Kazakh people uh, to look after the, uh, the, the new animals and fauna and flora that are present in the new area of the Aral Sea. I don't know if you guys know about, about that, but the Aral Sea was one of the biggest lakes in the world. It's a salty lake. And uh, Kazakhstan is northern than Uzbekistan. Mm. In Uzbekistan, there were uh, cotton fields. And uh, in order to have biggest cotton field in South America, they started to use the water from the lake to uh, irrigate, to water the cotton field. And this lake was getting smaller and smaller. Yeah. So areas that, that one day were covered by water are now basically desert because it's also a salty kind of uh, yeah. field. Cities like Aralsk, there was a city on the Aral Sea in which the majority of the people were fishermen, is now ah. 80 kilometers away from the water. We have this skeleton of huge boat in the, in the desert that are like ghosts oh, wow. uh, in, the, in the desert. So our job was to understand what, how the nature changes mm. in a new environment that suddenly happened to, to be there. And I was in charge with frogs and toads and the, <laughs> and the genetics of these new toads and, and frogs. And again, came back home and they said, this is not me. I actually don't <laughs> care about how many chromosomes <laughs> toads have. And they're cute. And I, I had a, a suitcase full of frogs and toads and I, I kissed every single one to see if I get a prince and no one <laughs> no happens. <laughs> so yeah, look, one, I'm... Not, not for me not the prince didn't happen so I, I can't do frogs so okay okay uh, i waited for another sliding doors and the sliding doors happened in a moment in which i i enrolled in the course of entomology that is the study of insects and there was an elective that is very strange because Insects are everywhere, are the most present animals on the planet. Everywhere you can find insects, from the seed, from your cupboard in the house to the city, to the bush, even to desert and even underwater. And uh, is an elective for natural sciences? Doesn't make any sense. Mm. Anyway, let's do it. And one of the first classes, the professor said um, insects are everywhere but there are not that many people that study insects and only a bunch of insects have been studied mostly the beautiful one 
So mm. butterflies, some beetles that look amazing, that look like jewels. Yeah. Um, insects that are dangerous, like vectors of diseases, mosquitoes and wasps and uh, ticks and things like that. And also uh, the insects that are very useful. So a bunch of pollinators or the insects that are used to, um, to fight other insects. And then he added something that was just a sentence. They were saying, well, actually in the last 20 years, some scientists are studying insects to be used for criminal investigation. Mm. And that was again, our aha moment, like, yeah. uh, okay, this is Eureka moment. So I can actually use insects that are a piece of nature, a pretty big piece of nature for an application that can be extremely useful use of something even bigger and better than me, something that can be used to bring justice to the mm. society so I can give credibility to justice and I can close cases and I can help victims, I can yeah. give closure to, uh, to, to, families. to families. And I started to search a little bit more about that. There was nothing back in the days. There was not even Google to look for. So I had to go <laughs> to the um, central library. I'm giving away my age. It's a bit annoying, sorry, but uh, let's say that. Um, I think that was very recent. I'm sure it was only five years ago that we were sitting in libraries <laughs> Absolutely. having to yeah, go yeah, through yeah, yeah. things. I yeah. brought my expertise five years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I, f I found out that there is actually a discipline of science that is called the forensic entomology. So entomology is the study of bugs, insects, mm -hmm. and forensic is about the law. So insect and the law. That is not just about murders. Yeah. It's also biosecurity issues, hygiene, transport of products. So you go to a restaurant, you get a very nice meal, and you find a cockroach. Now, more proteins in your meal, but <laughs> not exactly what you yeah. want. So this is not a criminal case. It's mm -hmm. not a civil case that can open up an, e an issue because of different situations. So that forensic entomology, so a discipline to study insects, criminal or no criminal investigation so investigation about different things i can make the difference so that was like i can make the difference mm. using the key left by nature using insects in this case for uh, for the good of society so i went to the professor said, i really want to look into this and he said look i don't i don't do it but <laughs> if you can find somebody that can help you out with that uh, i'm i'm happy to support you and to be your supervisor for this uh, research Give me a challenge and i'm all for it <laughs> so i ended up calling the health department and see who was the uh, in charge with the uh, medical legal department i went to meeting this person this person uh basically opened sound is gonna sound a bit weird and this the weird and wonderful uh open up the, the door of the mortuary for me oh. <laughs> <laughs> i was working with the university and uh Basically, in Italy at that time, nobody was doing this job. Mm. So, and, you know, maggots on dead bodies yeah. are not exactly the thing that you look for. You try to get, a, get rid of them. That's so it. pathologists were so happy to have me around because I was taking care of everything that was not pleasant for them. Um, then there was a, a few conferences in Europe because there was a little group of uh, people interested in that. Like the first conference in which I went was like 50 people at the Natural History Museum of London, very small group of people, very interested in this topic. So tiny, tiny, tiny. Mm. But Italy is a country with lots of people. Like we have in Australia, uh, 
a total of less of the people in of the north of Italy. Yeah, uh, we live like sardines, and there are several uh, crimes because the society is it is what it is. And uh, in many cases, the body are found days, months, even years later. Yeah. So that is exactly when insects come and can give lots of information if you can read what they leave in the, in the cases. So I started to work a lot. So I, I made myself a name in, in Italy because I was the only expert doing this. And uh, I started to travel the, in Italy with my little bag full of samples and uh, working on different cases. And, um, I'm just imagining getting a, a random stop at an airport and opening the bag and it just being full of maggots and flies and all of that, having to try yeah, and so explain that. What I had to do in mo- most of the cases was I had to fly to the place where I had to do the investigation or yeah. the, um, you know, the, the necroscopy or the autopsy. So, uh, and then I was coming back by train to oh, avoid yeah. any issues. So <laughs> sometimes the, the 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 case itself was taking forever, yeah, uh, and was very tiring in terms of what to do because then there was the issue of me being an expert that doesn't exist. Mm. So Italy is very rule book from when it comes to work and. Uh, <laughs> Many, many years ago, there was not this opportunity of becoming an entrepreneur, of doing certain things. Probably yeah. if there was social media a little bit more uh, developed, I could be the Cara Ferragni of science yeah. at that stage, but uh, that was not the case. And uh, so I found myself that to having to work as a science teacher during the day and being a forensic entomologist during the night, travel where I could and getting the samples back. But I couldn't get a proper job because I was not a pathologist. I was not a law enforcement person. I was not a chemist when I was working in toxicology of the insects. So I could not find myself a job. in the health department, I had a couple of contracts, but there was not enough uh, funds for, for it. Yeah. And uh, and then the university uh, gave me the opportunity for a, sco- for, a, for a PhD, but was not with a scholarship. So I had ah. to work at the same time. And part of the um, of the PhD journey was you had to spend some time on the, in, a, in a foreign country to learn a little bit more. And I could not wait for this because I was the only one doing it. That means yeah. that doing a research in that, I'm, I'm still singing my own song. That's Nobody's it. teaching me anything. I don't, I'm not growing. I'm still in my comfort zone, not in a learning zone. And the thing is, so, you don't know what you don't know. So you need somebody to stretch you and to be yeah, able to take yeah, you Yeah, I need further. a peer. I need somebody mm. to supervise me that can be critical on my things. Yeah. If not, it's too easy. You know, there is not the challenge. Well, you and, can't, um, you need someone to brainstorm. If nothing else, you need someone to brainstorm with and someone to go, have you thought about it from this perspective? And have exactly. that. So you can't do that if you're only in your own head. Yeah. And so the only people I could work with were pathologists, but pathologists don't have my background as yeah. I don't have their background. So the, the team group cannot go anywhere because it's, it's difficult. Yeah. Anyway, in one of these conferences, the European Association for Forensic Entomology, I met um, the former uh, director of the Center for Forensic Science at UWA. There was a center that was present here in Perth until a few years ago. And I explain in my situation, I, really, I need to go somewhere. I need to learn. Have you got space for me? Yeah. And he was so kind and so open uh, to this little girl that was very annoying, like a fly. pretty much. <laughs> and he said, well, 
we can you can come over for a for a few months and uh, we can discuss about your PhD, your research, and this and that. So long story short, I I, I leave the science teaching job and I take my suitcase and I come to Perth and uh, was a bit of a shock yeah. <laughs> back in the days because I'm talking about 2009 and coming from a big city in Italy <laughs> to a very large city in Australia in which shops are closed at four in the afternoon every day. And closed the on weekend, a Sunday. No, and, yeah. Closed on the Sunday. There are no public transport. It's yeah. so hot. It was a gen- I stayed from January to June. It was so hot. Oh. It was one of the hottest summer yeah. in, uh, in, in years. I... I was shocked. So I spent amazing six months, but I wasn't ready to stay. I yeah. wasn't ready to stay. Plus I'm the only child in my family. And um, I I was, I, I didn't feel comfortable in staying because at the end of the six months, they said, look, just finish this PhD. We have space for you at the center and you can have a postdoc. Uh, we like the way you work, you yeah. know, stuff that we don't know. So but I was not ready. So yeah. you really had to be ready for a jump like that. So I came back to Italy. I finished my PhD. I worked on some more cases and I think it was a very good thing because in that couple of years, so from 2010 to 2013, I had a bunch of cases that was that were related to aquatic environments. So I had cases of people found on the beach or on yeah. a lake uh, or in wells. Ah. They kind of reopen up my knowledge and my love for marine biology mm. and aquatic stuff. So I started to move from forensic entomology, pure forensic entomology yeah. flies that fly around to also cases of nature, like aquatic nature that can be useful in the court of law. So I had cases in which I had uh, um, larvae of mosquitoes that are aquatic stuff, or I had barnacles, or I had other crustaceans Mm. uh, that can be useful investigation. So I started to open up a new venue for my my career and my my expertise that was aquatic forensics. So... um, then in 2013, there was a, another call for a postdoc again. And at that stage, I was mentally ready. I was probably over Italy, not understanding my, yeah. my expertise and my the potentials and the opportunity that I could give to cases. Because that must have been and, exceptionally hard to feel as though you were, I guess, constrained because the job that you were doing, you were doing, and yet you're still being told that it doesn't exist. Yes, on one hand, there was that. I was on media uh, for for different things, like the TV shows in which they were talking about cases, the TV shows in which they were talking about animals. And I was uh, working for uh, law enforcement. I was working mm. for the court. I was teaching lawyers. I was teaching law enforcement. I was teaching science students. But I still had my... Uh, basically the the reciprocal of uh, an ABN Mm. in which you provide an invoice and then the providers that should pay you can pay anytime. Uh. Even the court of law can pay you in uh, three or four years time. So you have a deadline of 90 days to provide a report and to do the job. And maybe the job involves a flight to go somewhere, a ticket of the train, and then some analysis that you need a lab to pay for. So you pay everything up front and then in three years' time, maybe you're going to get paid. See, it's a shame and maybe they're going to tell you every day. 
it's crazy. Yeah. Like you don't know at the end of the month you're going to be able to pay for, for your uh, house loan. Yeah. So, and this is the reason why I was uh, also teaching science at the, in the public system because I could not afford to survive. Yeah. It was very, very frustrating. So again, I, put my, I was nearly going to a breakdown and yeah. I realized that so this is not going to work. So I, I really like my sliding doors moment. I really look at myself in the mirror. I speak like a, uh, <laughs> like you know the actors that try they try their own uh, the speech yeah. to the to the mirror and say okay let's do this if this happen you're gonna continue this direction mm. if it doesn't happen you go the other direction but the first direction you're gonna slam the door yeah because it's not it's not it's not suitable it's not it's not worth you know so I might slide in door was I'm gonna apply for this postdoc in Australia in this place that I really liked when mm. I was there. And if it works, I'm going to move and I'm going to start a new life. If it's not going to work, I'm going to become the best science teacher, maybe the minister of education. <laughs> I don't care. I'm going to get bigger and better in that. Sense. But this chapter of my life is going to be done and dusted. Oh, wow. And uh, so... That was a big <laughs> risk, got, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. So, so I got the, the postdoc and I... And I told only my mom that I was leaving. My dad found out on the day I was leaving. Oh. My auntie and my grandma, that are the people that basically raised me as well as my mom, uh, they didn't know because they were away for a holiday and they just found a letter explaining because the hardest bit for an Italian person is to leave the family. The families yeah. are pretty... Very close-knit. Um, very close. And uh, there is a sort of a stereotype or general general situation in which the parents and so the family looks after you until Mm. you are independent but then at that point you are going to look after them because they have an age and it's now your response they are now your responsibility so this was really something that was really making me anxious like I'm a bad person because I'm leaving but then my mom really understood me my mom when she was 16 she moved from the south of italy to the north living in a little village to provide she was a she was a trained as a teacher yeah and uh uh was just after the war my grandfather has been uh was uh was injured in the war so he could not work anymore he was a carpenter they had siblings and things so she was able to provide for the family but only living so she found a job as a as a teacher in an orphanage in the north of Italy. She left uh, when she was 16 and she's wor- she was working in this orphanage. And so she's the one who understood you. Sometimes you have to do it for yourself. Yeah. And then maybe that is gonna be more, it's gonna be better for you and for the rest of the family. And then she said something that stood very close to my heart. I say, I am giving you roots to stay, uh, roots to come back, but also wings to fly. So in that point, at that point, I really understood that she understood and she was not upset me leaving. She was more upset me staying yeah. because she knew that was, I was not okay. That yeah. Day. And uh, so, so she, she is like, she's the best. Yeah. <laughs> it's my mom. And um, so I was in peace in that sense. I was now ready, left and, uh, hey, and things we, kind, kind of came to... into place. Before we come to what happened over here, how did your how did your dad react when he found out on the day? 
Well, it's 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 a difficult question, this one, because uh, I didn't have a very good relationship with my dad in the last few years uh. because um, he was in a very, was a, has been always a very grumpy person, but <laughs> in the last few years became very, very grumpy. And then we found out that he was actually suffering of Parkinson's. So part, part of the Parkinson's disease is some neurological mood. connection uh, yeah. not working anymore and you become grumpy. So mm. he, we pushed him to go and look after himself, do some neurological assessment and things. But you, you, know, you can take the horse to water, but yeah. you can't force him. So as I, that you, you kind of don't care about me. So you, you should not care if I'm here or I'm there yeah um it was sad but because of this issue of the parkinson he could not express his feelings yeah so i was kid i'm still in oh, it now doesn't even speak anymore it doesn't move anymore oh. so it's is the last three years of covid not going not having been able to go back and say at least the law yeah um have been very hard very so but when I left I was not in a very good space with him because mm. I said you're not caring about me and then we understood that that was a reaction to the you know was part of the uh, part of the issue that yeah. he was facing that he didn't know was facing we didn't know he was facing we only we only had the symptoms you know so yeah. it's like so um, but yeah so so I was more co- more worried about my mom my non and my auntie <laughs> and they just got a letter so how did they go no did they well yeah. let's say that I was happy to be gone when they came back and they found out because <laughs> I know that I'm, I'm pretty sure that they gave a big big head to my mom you allow her to go this is not okay she should be here she should be normal like she's a girl she should get married and she should get this this and that so and that's difficult as well that concept of she should be normal and yes you know in our family we celebrate weird and um because we're all weird <laughs> so, <laughs> um and so the idea of being normal I guess it's that feels that feels weird to me um but yeah that's a difficult kind of concept that when you have this family guess it's family pressure to be weird to have somebody in your life that says well actually no you need to hmm. just follow who you are yeah but you know the my grandma and my mom come from this small village in which yeah. everyone whispers and if you are the weird one they know whisper nice and uh, I always remember that <laughs> During summer, I used to go to the south of Italy in this big house of my nonna. And to keep me happy for the month in which my mom was not there, they used to give me an animal to look after. <laughs> <It was> like, <laughs> pet therapy 101. And one year they gave me a, a chicken. Uh, and I, I had think this they were very brave, Paola. I would be worried about giving you an animal in tra- case you tried to do an autopsy. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. But listen to this. I had a tricycle with a little basket. And I was going around this big house and this backyard with the with the chicken all dressed up, sitting in the basket. <laughs> and uh, all the houses of the neighborhood could look into this backyard. Yeah. So all of these old ladies were knocking to the door of my, of my nonna saying, 
Uh, I can see your granddaughter with a chicken in on the bicycle. So is she okay? <laughs> is she normal? She's in so, her element. I know she's yes, not normal. Yeah. You know, the, you know, I remember one brought a, a doll because uh, maybe she doesn't have a doll. Yeah. So she has to put the bib on the on the chicken because this stupid family doesn't give her a, a proper doll to dress up. Oh, they thought that um, you were deprived. Yes, yes, doll <laughs> deprived. And so I had to dress up the chicken. Um so so but I, <laughs> that was that was okay for me. Yeah. So <laughs> Oh that's awesome. I love that. <laughs> Uh, so then I'm assuming that your grandmother and auntie, they talk, they started talking to you afterwards. They didn't hold a grudge for too long. Yeah, absolutely. So they were, uh, they were, uh, they understood. Yeah. And I, I nearly pushed myself to do something good here in Australia in order for them to have a peace of mind that this was the place in which, uh, in which people, job and things embrace my talents. So, for example, I won this science communication um, competition and I had all these trophies and uh, I've been on the newspaper a couple of times and things. So they had all of these things on their walls. And so that was like, she she didn't make it in Italy, but maybe Italy didn't understand her, was not was not ready for her yeah but this this place is embracing her she's happy and then i had to say between you and i and everyone is listening <laughs> um after a year that i was in australia i met this guy then i married them <laughs> so they found out that i not just break into work but I found someone and we were serious about it and we got married in six months. Oh, so, wow. <laughs> so, so that was like the closing of the circle. So she's happy, she's working. And, and she she's married. Up, she's <laughs> yeah. married. So, so it's okay that she's away, it's but she's happy and there is someone looking after her. Yeah. And I have to say, my husband is lovely, but I think I look after him when the look, he looks after me, but it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Details. I, I definitely feel you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> but how was it coming over to Australia and actually, so I've got two questions. One is that how was it for you coming over here and being here I suppose you'd you'd made some contacts when you came over to study the first time, but you were still essentially leaving everything behind and coming over to start afresh. How was that? It's it was exciting to think uh, that I'm going to live and start a new life, but then it was pretty daunting because oh my god, it's how a brand is going to be life. this new life? Yeah. and uh, you know I was living by myself back in the days, but like three doors apart from my mom, Uh, all the water bills and electricity bills were coming in uh, Italian, difficult language, but still in Italian. Uh, Here I had to sign contracts as my first signature and I had to have yeah, I had to look after everything by myself. Mm. And uh, I was so scared of the, you know, signing contracts for electricity bills and things in which I will maybe not understand what that. and I didn't have friends at the beginning. No. And uh, I found Australians to be, I knew this stereotype about Australians. You know? So everyone is is either a crocodile dandy yeah. or surfers. Yeah. So this is what we know about Australia. There are dingers mm-hmm. and uh, 
crazy animals, surfers, and crocodile dandy. That's yeah. it. Um, <laughs> I'd say that sums up Australia. I had a well, good appetite in 2009. It is not like that. Yeah. So, but still, not much there. Um, I found myself not having nothing to do during the weekend. And yeah. when I moved here was in 2013 was, uh, was September. So it was pretty bad weather. Mm. And uh, I didn't know what to do during the weekend. Uh, so I found myself a job in, a, in an Italian daily. Ah. <laughs> and so I was making panini all weekend. Yeah. Paid very cheap, but I, I met friends yeah. uh, and we could, chit chat about italy we could chat chat in italian mm. we could um kind of we become a little young community itself people that are that are not angry with italy but happy to be here yeah. so embracing the the reality happy to discover a little bit more so we were going to the museums and mm. uh, doing this and doing that so it was a very good uh, opportunity for for us to do things because anyway, I actually don't know how to make friends as an adult. You know, like when you're six, you can go up to somebody at the sandpit and go, do you want to be my friend? Yes. It's weird if somebody comes up to you when you're 36 and says, you know, do you want to be my friend? And I guess, and I guess this is the reason why I found my husband on, on Tinder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I said to my husband the other day, well, we can never get divorced because I'm not tech savvy and I have absolutely no idea how to manage any dating app. So we're just yeah. going to have to stay together. <laughs> Sometimes we, talk, we, we, we laugh with my husband saying, well, I was there. I will never go to a bar by myself. Yeah. My good two good friends one was married and one was in a in a in a long-term relationship so uh they will never take me to a bar yeah and uh, if i see you in a bar typical Australian, you're probably drunk so (laughs) so i will never have any any i would never been keen to speak with somebody like you that clearly has a problem (laughs) (laughs) so so yeah i think technology from that point of view helped a lot yes and um because even in, in the university setup many international students they come and go so it's a very kind of harbor place very transit and yeah a transit so it's difficult to uh, to yeah to get friends and Mm. many people that go to the university are not exactly extrovert they tend to uh yeah stay in the office even for lunch and that was a uwa this amazing place let's go to a sandwich under these trees oh no there are uv lights you can't stay outside it's like yeah for god's sake (laughs) so it's no no it doesn't work like that so i was yeah it's an adjustment a big Mm. adjustment and then there are funny things like um in italy we don't have the comma in the numbers of bits and uh so it's all about point or nothing so the water bill arrived and was like, I don't know, $25. Mm-hmm. And I paid $2,500. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I, so you see, taking responsibility on your bills and also, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was funny because I was talking about my friend, with talking about that with my friends. And I was like, as soon as that happened, I was like going off on my Facebook saying Colombians or whoever stolen my money from my credit card. And that was me putting the wrong number in the water bill. And as soon as I called the water corporation, they just said, yes, I'll give you the money back. It's not oh, an issue. No. It happened so many times. And this will never happen to Italy. Like they will take forever and probably keep your money because just you've been an idiot. Yeah. And well, I thought maybe they'd go, okay, well, now you're 
you know, $2,475 in advance. So you yeah, could for the yeah. next few years. So. <laughs> look after that forever yeah. and same for the medicare card like the day i arrived my the person that came to pick me up that was my professor at the university said we had to go to medicare because you have a reciprocal opportunity italy australia so you, uh, are, yeah. you are covered for six months my flight was late i took more than 24 hours to arrive i was absolutely oh, a wreck yeah and the idea to go to a public health uh, office uh, oh god, I don't want to do about... that when I'm at the at my absolute best. There is no way I'd want to do yeah. that after getting off a 24-hour flight, feeling grimy, tired, and disgusting. But thinking about that, when when I had to do that in Italy, it's hours of waiting, hours, yeah. hours, hours, and probably at the end of the day, said, "Sorry, guys, we don't have any more time. You guys go come home back and tomorrow." Come back to that, yeah. Instead, I I arrived in the Medicare office. I ticked the button. I need a Medicare. They said. Number five, number five, immediately. Oh, wow. and what do you want? I want the medical receipt. Okay, it, where is your document? Where is your ticket of the flight? This is your medical. So it was like three oh, minutes gosh. total. Yeah. I was like shocked. I was like, uh, when are we going to wait? Yeah. <laughs> where is the waiting time in all of this exercise? Because yeah. I can't believe it. But then you see, like we, in Italy, we have so many people that obviously are going to wait. Yeah. Uh, here, things are way smoother. When they say a traffic jam traffic jam you're not even talking this is not traffic jam. no this idea just, you know, <laughs> yes. this is this is uh ipod time this is like uh, uh like i can listen to some some talks i can yeah. listen to a podcast so this is actually good so very different embrace the new reality don't embrace the fact that the shops are closed in the sunday on sundays yeah. of very short time um some of the things are very expensive, like having a pizza is too expensive. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, uh, it's sometimes it's still hard because I, I have friends now, but you're always concerned they're going to leave. Mm. Or, or these are friends that there is a, something about Australia. They say, let's go for a coffee. And this coffee never happened. Yes. Uh, it's it's very annoying because in Italy, normally you get you go for a coffee. You really find the time. You really want to have coffees. Maybe yeah. coffees are better. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so, um, so yeah. So I found good friends, but sometimes you have friends of the gym. You have friends of the work. You have friends of something else. But you don't see these friends after. outside of those places. So yeah. for people that come from a different country can be very difficult to create a support group, a network. Mm. They can uh, look after you in different ways. Um, so I guess things went better when I had a mom's group because we had something in common that was a pretty big uh, yeah. deal. Uh, so with the excuse That's of... That's quite drastic, kids, isn't it, to... just to have a child so you can make some friends? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, big shout out to my mom's group yeah. and and it's good. Yeah. that's And you, there are some amazing mums. If you get a good mums group, I know that one of the mums group I went to was, it was just really judgmental and, um, you know, I had to have an emergency Caesar with my first baby and um, and one person tried, you know, making me feel guilty because I'd, you know, I'd let them do this to me and, and, you know, what that had done to my child and I shouldn't have done that and our bodies are designed to have babies and all of this kind of stuff. And you think, you know what, yeah. it's not what I need. I don't need people who are going to fill me with guilt. I Absolutely. need people who are going to lift yeah. me up. So well, I, I see you because I I, I had uh, 
issue with milk at the beginning and yeah. uh, so they had to top up with formula and uh, oh you're a bad mom because you don't give the real milk it's not yeah. <laughs> it's not me like it's the body I, I can't control that yeah and so so yeah sometimes yeah you have to distance yourself from toxic people and environments yeah. and um, less is more definitely when it comes to these kind of people and yeah. uh yeah uh, sometimes people don't waste any occasion to shut up <laughs> yeah this is true <laughs> so you came over to western australia so 2013 and then you did your postdoc yeah so i spent a couple of years at uwa working on my postdoc mm-hmm. and then i and what was to that the in? industry um sorry what was that in Oh yes, yeah, still working with the Center for Forensic Science mm-hmm. in um, yeah different different things, but my original project went uh, pear shaped because of the closing of the Center for Forensic Science, ah. as many many things that happened in UWA around that period. So yeah. I moved then to the industry for a year, and then there was this uh, opportunity at Murdoch, and I applied for a job over there, and I'm at Murdoch since 2016. Mm-hmm. And I moved from lecture to senior lecturers and hopefully <laughs> closing the gap to yeah. this gender gender limitation in uh, academics and professorial level that are female. Yes. So slowly, slowly getting to that level, I hope. And um, yeah, and then taking over the world, I guess, <laughs> like pink in the brain. <laughs> one dead mag, well, no, one maggot at a time taking over the world. Yes, 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 um, yeah. But so you are working as a lecturer, but you're also you have two babies, and mm-hmm. um, and you're also still working in the field. So you're actually recognised here for everything that you have and everything that you offer. Yeah, so I'm a mum of two little girls. One mm-hmm. is four year old, and one is um, nine months old. Oh my and uh, <laughs> yeah, he's a little one. And um, uh, I don't have any of my family around. Uh, I have my husband that has a beautiful family that adopted me. So thank you very much for looking after me. Uh, and uh, But they're all working. So it's, it's not like you have a stay-home yeah. grandma that can look after the kids and things. Yeah. So the adjustment is has been pretty hectic in the last few months when I finished my maternity leave. Mm. I work at Murdoch. I work for pro bono associations and pro bono um places when there are cases in which I can look into like RSPCA kind of cases so um, animal victims and uh, I also try to uh, to be an inspirational uh, speaker for women associations to raise awareness about uh, um, women violence and in general any kind of uh, gender biased violence or Mm. uh, uh, small community issues so i i work in forensic science in investigation mm-hmm. and at the same time i try to raise awareness to don't have to do my job yeah oh wow and now i see i remember speaking about that you were doing something about um red shoes yeah so the red shoes um in the last few years are considered the symbol of women violence mm. so we are doing some uh, some events in which people bring their own red shoes or they color their own red shoes as a symbol of uh violence that happened to themselves or other people mm-hmm. and uh and to to share or not to share but being there for other people to be in a safe place, safe place to share, 
and uh, to raise awareness about uh, gender-based violence. Mm-hmm. So is, I mean, you, you have a diverse amount of work that you do. Is a fair amount of that the actual field work that you do around gender violence or it just so happens that that's come up and so that's something that you're passionate about? I had so human are all the same, yeah. <laughs> so male or females, uh, transgender, all the same. Uh, in so for when I do research in the field in terms mm-hmm. of the composition things doesn't actually change. Mm-hmm. I just wanna I just do the experiment in order to provide data for future cases. When I worked on real cases, my if I had to look at the statistics of the cases that I was involved with probably the 80% are against women or against gender minorities. And I'm talking about um, transgenders and and people like that. So there is a gap in the, in the vial, in in the, not a gap. There is, there is a difference in who gets that violence action against. And uh, I found myself so, have several cases in which the women are exactly like me same age same job just Mm. happen to be in their own relationships so again we're talking about toxic relationships and uh, not being able to break through this relationship and uh, no being able to have a network support system Mm. not being able to speak up not being able to be understood and maybe themselves not be able to to have the strength to um, to to do something to break the circle. So in my in my talks, I try to uh, share my experience in order for other people to uh, to 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 do better. You know, mm. to raise the the level of sisterhood between women and between gender minorities. Uh, try to understand a little bit better each other and. Um, yeah try to uh, not always put a band-aid yeah. but prevent things yeah. because prevention and understanding is everything in this in this field how do you think that we raise that sisterhood well maybe it's just starting Going with the uh, coffee don't, <laughs> yes yeah just just don't don't waste your bread saying let's go for a coffee make this coffee happen yeah. like Actually start with a coffee on. and we go yeah. from that because you never know what can what things can come out from a coffee yeah and these days you don't even have to go to a coffee place you make your own coffee yeah. organize for a zoom call or a whatsapp call stay your place you yeah. have these five minutes for a coffee another mm. person has five minutes for a coffee it can be a five minutes of how are you how are you doing and stuff like that. You can be in front of your phone if, with your coffee. You don't have to take the car. Fuel is crazy, the pricey these yeah. days. You can be in your place with your cup and your slippers and no makeup, hair like me today. It's <laughs> fine. Let's have a coffee. Just yeah, drop me a message when you take a break from, from your work. And uh, we don't have to see each other. We can see each other through the phone. Yeah. And everyone is going to be yeah more comfortable safe place and uh yeah we start with that well that's a that's really you know i hadn't actually thought about doing that i use a zoom call at the start of work days so that we can you know touch base with staff when people are working remotely but i guess i was still thinking if i'm going to catch up with a friend i need to get in the car and we need to go whether it's to her house or she comes to my house or we go somewhere else but you're right we don't actually have to leave the house anymore 
Although, just no. saying, if anybody does come to my house or I meet you somewhere, you're welcome to come in your slippers with your hair looking like, like mine does today. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. Know, feel free not to iron your shirt, that type of thing. There's no pressure. Um, and one thing that Murdoch is doing in a, in a few weeks is happen quarterly, so four times a year, they have something that is called the Menopause Cafe. Ah. That I found is amazing. Uh, and this can be physical or online, depending on the situation of yeah. the, you know, the COVID uh, uh, requirements. And uh, it's normally more, um, uh, more focused for people that are in pre-menopause or in menopause because we're talking about women about 45 to 65. Yeah. That, you know, the range can be yeah. even bigger. You never know with biology. Mm. Uh, and people that are academics at that level are not that many. Mm. And the body of, of us changes so much. We, yeah. go, we face so many hormonal phases. And... Uh, I recently found out about this and I'm definitely not in menopause. I had a baby six months ago, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'm going to be in the next yeah. five, six years of time. I don't want to put a bandaid. Yeah. I want to learn. I want to listen from people that are in premenopause, that are in menopause. What is going to happen? Yeah. What, what are the issues that I will face in six year times? Because I'm going to face these issues. Yeah. If now I'm not going to do something to make things happen. So same, like I'm not part of the queer community. Uh, I see myself as a woman and, uh, and everything. But if I don't understand their community, I cannot cater for them. I cannot yeah. cater for my students that are part of the community. I yeah. cannot... Uh, I cannot improve them because I don't understand them. So yeah. I recently been in a in a in a two years sorry two hours uh, chit chat with the um, with the team of LGBT supporters for 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 Murdoch University and I found it fantastic because yeah. you don't know what to do if you don't know what's going on. So That's having it. more knowledge, yeah, it's the only way to improve things. And what I love about that is that people are actually talking about it. So, you know, I think the way that we the way that we combat a lot of these things is we actually have to have conversations. But yes. for so long it's been taboo and you can't like you can't talk about menopause because, you know, that's secret women's business and we just don't talk about it with anybody. Well, then it comes as a heck of a shock to people, doesn't it? So Yeah, it is. It is. There yeah. are so many things about the 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 physiology of the women's body that are kind of a taboo that is stupid like this is this is us this is us it's part of us and the beauty of us is probably that that we have so many phases of life in which we change Mm. and uh we can support each other but only if we understand each other and um and i want for the for my next cohort i want to i try to listen to this conversation um because I want for my next cohort of students that had to uh, create a research, they had to work on a research to be focused in these specific things. Yeah. In more uh, crimes against not just the gender, but yeah. the age. Because yeah. we always talk about gender diversity, but within the same gender, mm-hmm. what happened in the terms of age? Yeah. So, um, so it is important to break down the information and uh, to have input for their community because we are very ignorant about their community and we don't know what kind of issue they face mm-hmm. and us as people that research well we can cut the research on something that 
they can suggest us. And so, that's exactly it. Rather than, I guess what I love about that is actually ask the people who you're working for what they think are the important issues as opposed to coming in as an expert and going, well, I've decided that what's important to you is this. You think, yeah. well, you've got no information to be able to base that on. So, of course, you have yeah. to ask them. But so We many... always have a superficial understanding. Yeah. Like, uh, I don't want to go into the story of the war between Russia and Ukraine because it's oh, a God. crazy situation. Yeah. But we can, oh, it's, it's wrong, this is wrong, that. Well, hold on. How much do you actually know about what happened? Absolutely Same nothing. story here. Yeah. Like, I think that we need to look into this type of investigation. But what's inside of the community? What, yeah. what is something that is very close to their heart that would, they would like for things to change? Yeah. So asking them first. Yeah. And be part of that. Not being like, not feeling better than them, but being yeah. like, we are like you. We just want to. Yeah, work with you. It's interesting. Um, so I've obviously I've worked on both sides of research projects as you know as a researcher, but also as a consumer rep for different research projects. And I had to give a couple of lectures at um, at ECU around the importance of consumer reps in research prog- process. And it was so you know, and it's full of incredibly intelligent people. So I felt in- totally out of my depth. Um, but so standing there and talking about that and these people going, well, how do we get somebody to be a consumer rep? I said, well, have you tried asking them? And yeah. it was just like revelation. Oh, would that work? <laughs> you <laughs> know might. what? I can give you a very quick example. Um, forensic science for Murdoch University is one of the most popular um, discipline. Many students come and they want to do that. And you probably saw around the city on the buses, there are so many advertisements about forensic science. And we yeah. have these beautiful pictures that media office take, uh, talk with uh, the field work and they dress up in blue. They are dressed yeah. up in blue and they dig the hole. Okay. So last year I had a beautiful student who was in a wheelchair uh, and she was studying forensic biology and toxicology. So when we talk about minorities, we're yeah. not talking about only gender minorities. We have minorities of students that have disabilities that can be physical or mental or both mm-hmm. that are actually very interesting in forensic science. Are we catering for them? Absolutely not. Mm. Is marketing catering for them? No. no that's it. But so it, one of my projects that is going to um, take place at the end of uh, June because it's a, it's a winter unit is a unit that I developed specific for everyone and especially for people with disabilities, this is highly recommended. Yeah. So everyone can participate, it's very yeah. inclusive, but people with disabilities are highly recommended to participate because this unit is gonna be in remote forensics. So everything that you can do in a remote space, so so from cyber forensic to drive a drone that you yeah. don't have to fly or yeah. be underwater, you are just at the computer doing that. Yeah that you can do in any situation and the situation can be one they the the person that is the forensic expert has some sort of disability temporary mm-hmm. or total the, yeah. the total time the trainer can yeah. be with disability last year when i was doing uh, one of my units i was heavily pregnant yes i couldn't and there was a an abroad unit done in malaysia in which I could not travel to Malaysia. Yeah. So I did my teaching from home. Yeah. You know? So now 
now that I have the opportunity to have a long chat with this student and another one that is in the spectrum, I understand what are the issues, but also what are the potentials of all of them. And I develop this unit. Yeah. So it's very important to understand from them what is the issue and say, oh, I'm feeling very bad. I I can't see myself in this. Mm. I can't see myself being one of these blue suit people. I can't wear blue suit. Because I can't stand up, I can't dig. Yeah. But you can be the one that has an iPad with the program of a georada, and mm-hmm. the person that is a technician that has no education. You can take a person from the from the street yeah. and say, "This is a georada. Looks like a vacuum. Yeah. You just have to walk down the the soil, and yeah. that will see what's is, what's underneath from my computer." I'm the expert. You are just a, a walker. Yeah. You know, instead of walking the dog, you walk you the walk georada. The... That's it. <laughs> Okay, but I'm the expert. I'm the forensic expert and I'm on a wheelchair. Yeah. And, and I'm fantastic. And, and I'm great. There's research that shows that women, like women actually need to see other women doing it to think that they can do it. You Absolutely. Know, so we need to see examples of, we need to see us out there so that we have that belief that it's something that, that this is a space that we can occupy. Yeah. Which is it's all about what, role modeling and it it's is. all about yeah imaging like you see her be her that yeah so. i love i absolutely love that um but it's also what makes what you've done really inspiring because you didn't have you weren't there in italy you know well you were because you were the only one doing it but you didn't have anybody else to be able to go oh well i see that other teenage girl that's gone on and you know now she's in her 20s and she's doing this yeah. you know you didn't have that person that you could look to yeah and so but you did it anyway <laughs> so this is uh, i guess when they say you know the brain is divided in two bits yeah. one bit is about creativity and the other one is about logic and all of this and the scientist is all about logic and all about yeah. things no man it's all about creativity yes. the science is all about creativity is yeah. innovation is using the logic to understand what innovation can work. Yes. But this part is is the part that should drive because it should drive the thinking out of the box, mm. the, being the the entrepreneur, the pioneer. Well, we have someone that travel on a on a wood boat and find America. Hello. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> it. <laughs> it's, this, it's the braveness, courageous, and a little bit of weird and wonderful thinking. Yeah. And I know we've got to wrap up, so I'm just going to fire some questions at you. My one question, this one, um, do you feel any guilt to have left Italy, not for the family and all of that kind of stuff, but for what you what you were doing over there for science in Italy that now, like, you were the only person doing it and you left a void? <sighs> this is a big question. I it is a big question. I probably should have started I, with that earlier. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, at the beginning, I felt like, but at the end, I think the feeling appreciated allows you to continue putting more wood on your fire. Mm. And I was not appreciated. And so not being appreciated means that whatever I do is actually no, not good enough for you. Yeah. Um, I left many doors open. Uh, I have several collaborations still going on with the University of Turin, so my city, and also in Sicily, I have a very good friend and colleague with, with who I publish a book and I publish also uh, recently um, the, the, the only available guideline for criminal investigation in uh, possible COVID cases. Ah. Uh, like if in the, imagine a, um, 
an isolation situation which somebody is 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 with covid and they and the investigators come in the room and they they don't have yeah. to get covid they just have to get the evidence yeah. so we published that uh, recently and in theory yesterday i received a, no in practical yesterday i received a call from a prosecutor that wants me to sit in court in um in rome for for a case i investigated too and uh so the doors are open yeah. uh, you know, it's like they were not ready for me. Maybe one day they will be ready. And instead of become the minister of education, I will become the minister of, of <laughs> something else, yeah. you know, justice or health or something. Uh, sometimes you just have to make a tough call. It's a tough love. Yeah. Probably it's a tough love for Italy in this case. And I guess that, you know, you do have those doors open. So you're still, I guess you're still there saying to people that actually this is important work. And that's leaving that door open for other people to walk through, for other people to kind of take up the mantle and be able to do what you were doing. Yeah, so there are a few colleagues that uh, were kind of in the same situation of me a few years later. Yeah. They work as forensic entomologists for a few years and then they moved to uh, America. Uh, a girl from Sicily moved to America and now she's teaching in America. Another friend that was from Padua and moved to the north of um UK and was a professor over there for many years, had a bunch of students from Italy going there and now had an opportunity for a university in Italy to come back, bringing the students back. So they are now kind of reshaping, so kind of understood. I don't have that drive to go back to Italy forever because I have a little lovely family have a here. life here, yep. Um, as you can see as well. <laughs> but yeah, I think that slowly, slowly they kind of understood the situation. And if you like, if you were to meet a um, a teen girl who was excited about science or you know was didn't fit the normal, what would you say to her? Well, kind of understand their own, embrace the talent. So, what makes you feel special? What makes you feel happy? How we can work on these talents? How we can, uh, yeah put the energies, channel the energy in the way that can make things bigger and better and no more difficult. Because in my case, I was trying to, to put my energy in a box and then the box finally exploded. Yeah. So when I, come to the time, when I come to the time to my students to do their research, I normally don't give them a list of these are the research available. I normally yeah. want to have a conversation with them and I ask them, what are the things that you can already do? Can we go 2.0 on these yeah. things? Because if you can already you do these things, means that you really like to do these things. Yeah. Can we make this work in the forensic space, in the teaching space, in the yeah. science communication space, in whatever space? Yeah. So, so I have a students, for example, that is into um, technology and uh, working on virtual reality, and we are doing amazing things, and that's going to be connected with the disability project. Uh, so. Yeah. So things like that. I heard something recently that said we need to stop asking people what they're passionate about and start asking people, how do you spend your time? Because if it's something, you know, if this is what you're doing already, this is what you're, you know, this is obviously what excites you because you're spending your time doing it, find a way to yeah. make that, take that to the next level. Yeah. So, yeah. And this is all about like, I, if you do what you're passionate about, you're not doing any day or job or yeah. work. Yeah. So yeah. that is exactly that. Yeah. And if you had, if you were to talk to somebody who was in the same situation as you, where you were considering leaving everything you knew and coming to another country, no support systems, no friends, starting from scratch, what would you say to them? 
they stay in the comfort zone doesn't allow you to learn only in the in the uncomfort zone so in the danger zone there is this opportunity of learning and this is the where the magic happens so if you don't give you the opportunity to jump you don't know what you're going to find on the other side yeah and there is always time to come back you know already what are you leaving you don't know about the new thing it can be a better things if it's not well it's okay you tried you're braver than anyone else yeah and there's, so that's it many, there's no shame going people, back is there Yes, I, when I go back, oh, you do so well. Yeah, I should go as well. Who stops you? Yeah. Who stops you? Like, yeah. you, you know that you can just book an airfare, right? Like, that's all it takes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any final thoughts before we hang up today? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> my brain keeps going. So the, we will stay another hour yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> um, just, uh, I guess. In all of these, keeping yourself humble and uh, keep wanting to learn, keep wanting to make things better for everyone, treating everyone with kindness and respect, I think is the key for everything. Because you can reach amazing position, you can do the best research, and you can be you know, the key of solving whatever. But then if you are not a human anymore, if you don't, you're not empathic with the people around you, you didn't achieve anything because... Nobody re- would remember you for for who you really are. Yeah. There's one other thing that I, I've picked up as a message that you, ha- you haven't said, but I guess um, it's that actually you deserve to be paid for the work that you do. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, so many it, women really, just feel oh, guilty yeah. to, you know, to charge for what they do. And, and yet, Why? It's it's very hard, and especially coming from certain countries in which you kind of had to give a free gig to show, like a, a free sample to see how you work, yeah. or that talking about money is um, is very is very rude. Yeah. But financial literacy for young women is extremely important because you never know what are going to happen in life if your if your bank account is in in a in a in, in a, together with your uh, with your partner and things, and then you guys split, uh, or the financial is looked after by another person yeah. in your family, and you have no idea how money works. And you actually you end up like me and the freaking uh, Yeah, exactly. Uh, so things that we really have to improve in schools, maybe with less violin, a little bit more um, uh, financial literacy for young girls, understand the value of money, understand the 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 movement of money, the 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 importance of yeah, taking charge of things. Yeah. So, um, as the yeah. mum of two girls who both play violin, I'm a hundred percent with you on that. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Well, thank you so much for your time this morning. I really appreciate it. I know you've got to get to another meeting, but I could honestly sit here and chat to you for another hour. Um, so thank you for sharing so openly and so freely. Well, there is always time for a coffee, Emma. This is true. And now I know I can just um just drop a message. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me for today's episode of A Hidden World of Women, a podcast brought to you by Women's Health and Wellbeing Services. 
For more information on the services we offer, head to whws.org.au or Women's Health and Wellbeing Services on YouTube and social media. Looking forward to the next episode where we uncover the hidden world of women.